Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. And I'm excited about this message. I hope you're excited about this. Uh, my goal is to dunk everybody today. I want to take that dunk, right? If we could do that, we would do that. Uh, but I do think there's probably maybe 25 to 30 people here today. Uh, you, you just came here. Uh, you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never been baptized before. If you get, if you get a feeling inside your soul, is that a song? Um, but if you get a feeling... If you feel like the Holy Spirit's working on you and you didn't plan on uh, being baptized, we are going to have baptisms at the end of this worship experience. It's going to be exciting. We believe a God is a God of miracles. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, come on, and forever. And we believe God's at work in our church. How many believe that? How many believers do we have here today? Oh, come on. We got a few of you. And so I want you to expect that God's going to God's going to speak to you. So if you came here today and you really, you weren't thinking about being baptized, but you feel like the Holy Spirit's talking to you, here's good news. We bought t-shirts for you, and uh, we also bought towels for you. So we're, we, we're expecting, fully expecting maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 of you baptized. I don't know what we're going to do. You might just have to, like, get dunked in your clothes, but uh, God's going to move today. So I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, baptism. So if, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. And uh, this is... Uh, obviously, the Gospel of Matthew. If, how, how many of you like mountains? Come on. How many of you love going to the mountains and camping, right? How many of you love going to the mountains and hunting for Sasquatch? Come on. How many of you love going to mountains and grinning down a, a bear, right? That's what Idahoans do. So if you love mountains, you're going to love this because this is the setting of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is on a what? A mountain. And uh, if, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, mountains are significant. You have the transfiguration on the mountain. If you nerd out on biblical cosmology, you're going to love this. The transfiguration is where heaven, God's space, overlaps with our space, our world. We call this partially overlapping magisterium. Can I get an amen to that? I'm not going to talk like that for the rest of this message, okay? Uh, but the transfiguration is a really important moment. Happened on a mountain. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches about the kingdom on a mountain, right? We also have the final discourses on the Mount of Olivet, and this setting is all about a mountain. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, they went up a mountain to meet God. And N.T. Wright tells us that Jesus is now inviting his disciples to meet him. So we come to verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain. Everyone say mountain. If you're an Idahoan, just say amen to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. If you're a survivalist, say amen. Okay, moving on. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And when Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, everyone say behold. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me just quickly, I got, I got 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Do you guys think I can do it? 
25 minutes to talk about baptism, so I'm going to talk really fast here. But we come to verse um, 18. Uh, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. What, what Jesus is saying, you might be shocked that he's now ruling the entire uh, space-time continuum. So the world is space and time and matter and bodies and ostriches and penguins. And everything that we know in this, in this world, this present world, is being ruled by Jesus. Can I get an amen? Uh, many people think, in, in, man, the Christian story is about just being a nice person. Uh, Christian story is about paying your taxes. And, man, I believe in being nice, and I believe in paying your taxes. Um, I believe in being a good person. But the Christian story is so much bigger than just being a nice person. The Christian story is centered around this fact. Everyone say fact. The fact is Jesus is the king of the entire space-time world. So when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, he's saying that there's nothing that lies outside the range of his sovereign love. Your sin, uh, the things that have happened, your circumstances that you're going through does not lie outside the authority of Jesus. It's funny, I had a conversation with my son Wesley a couple weeks ago about this very thing, and he looked at me because he knows there's sin and evil in this world. And, I, and I, talk, I was talking to him about the, the ruling, the sovereign rule of Jesus in our world. And he looked at me like, Dad, is Jesus actually ruling the world? And I remember I sat there, I'm like, yes, Jesus is ruling the world. Now, our world isn't what Jesus uh, intends it to be right now. But when we say that Jesus is ruling this world, what we're saying is that God, through Jesus, is taking uh, our world out of old creation, out of its misshapen, um, dehumanized state, and bringing it under the rule of his sovereign love. We should get excited about this. Jesus came back from the dead. Through his death, he defeated death. And then on the third day, he bodily came back from the dead, inaugurating a new state of affairs, inaugurating a new context where we, we call this new creation for our present world, meaning that Jesus is in charge. New creation is now bursting or breaking in upon our old, sad, tired world. And you should get excited about this. Okay, forgive me for intruding on your nap this morning. Like, if we could get excited about, man, your team winning, whether that's the Warriors or the Cowboys or the Raiders, and you lose your mind or the Broncos, we are Boise State Bronco fans. Can I get an amen? But if you can lose your mind for that, my gosh, we should, when we start talking about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and how he has changed our world and we get included or caught up into this fresh act of new creation, we should lose our minds on a Sunday. Come on. Jesus is already in charge of this world. So then Matthew tells us that um, Jesus looked to his disciples on the mountain and says, go therefore and uh, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism here is a foundational piece for followers of Jesus. It's not, and, and Jesus makes it very clear, Matthew makes it very clear, that this is not, baptism, is not like an additional thing 
that you can do. Like you get saved, you make a decision to follow Jesus, and if you want to, you can be baptized. Ba- it's not baptism a la mode, right? How many of you like Cracker Barrel? Come on, I love Cracker Barrel. If you ever been to Cracker Barrel, have you had their Coca-Cola cake? It's like crack. I've never had crack, but I'm sure. Anyways, Coca-Cola cake. But they give you an option, right? They like, every time you order Coca-Cola cake, they're like, do you want vanilla ice cream with that? My, my, like, my response is, it shouldn't even be an option. This cake's amazing, but cake and ice cream should always go together. It's funny how some people assume baptism is like a la mode. Like it's, it's, it's not like necessary. It's an option or it's a choice. Now let me just say this. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Baptism is necessary for obedience. It's the foundation for every follower of Jesus. And if you know me, I've shared stories about my uh, inability to build things. Like if you go to our, our house and you ask us for a toolbox, I will go. I, it will take me five hours to find the toolbox. Once I find it, I'll, I'll come out and uh, present a pink toolbox because it's not mine. It's my wife's. And every time something breaks down in our house, to my everlasting shame, my boys will not come to me, but they will go to their mom and she will fix everything. I did fix a garage door nine years ago, and it changed my life. Come on. To glory be to Jesus, right? Uh, my sons, you know, they, they, they'll go to their, their mom, and they'll ask for her to fix stuff. I'm just not a fixer, but I do know uh, that in order to build something, you have to lay a foundation. If you want to build a house, how many builders do we have here today? Well, you've got a few of you. If you, if you want to build something, you have to lay that foundation. It has to be a good foundation. If you have a good foundation, you can build a house. This is baptism. Baptism, you're, I'll say it this way. Jesus intends, you, intends for you to be baptized and to build your life out of or upon baptism. Makes it very clear. Easter and baptism are inextricably connected. You, you can't separate the two. So when we talk about like dunking people in this water, people are like, what, what is baptism? Are we, is this like a symbolic event? Some of you are going to be baptized, probably 832 of you are going to be baptized today. Are you ready for it? In baptism, are we just simply saying, oh, this is a nice symbolic event. We'll baptize you. We'll bring you up. And uh, this is just like a thing that, a visible reminder that, hey, we're made new in Christ. Uh, yes and no. In fact, when you're baptized, you're not just, it's not just a symbolic thing. When you're baptized, something actually changes in you. Now, some people, maybe you're from a, maybe you're from a different faith tradition, and you, you think like maybe the water is like sacred, it's magic. Like once you come out, you're going to see rainbow puking unicorns or something like that. Um, we don't think the water's magic. This water just came out of Meridian, okay? And I hope it's clean, people. I hope it's clean. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, baptism, we're not baptizing you simply into a symbolic act. We're not baptizing you simply in, no, we're not, into magic water. When we baptize you, there's an actual change that takes place. So, I got three points for you. What are we baptizing you in? Are you ready for it? Number one, we are, we are, when you're baptized, we are baptizing you into King Jesus. Baptizing into King Jesus. So St. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 6. 
And he says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, this is crucial. For we, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united. Everyone say united. With him in a resurrection like his. We are baptized into the life of King Jesus. To make sense of this in the ancient world, what was true of the king was also true of his people. So if a king went out and defeated, like, say, some enemy armies, then because the king summed up or was the representative of his people, the people also entered into the victory of the king. Now, if your king was a loser or if your king lost in battle, that was, that was represented in the life of the people. This is just how ancient people thought about uh, representative and what was true of your king, etc. N.T. Wright said what is true of the king is also true of the people. In other words, your life in the ancient world was bound up in the life of the king. Paul is playing off of this. He's essentially saying, hey, uh, if, you're, if you're in Christ, in baptism, what is true of the life of Jesus, whether you feel like it or not, is also true of you. Now, we experience this all the time in, in the sports world. How many of you love sports? Okay, uh, like half of you, okay. We'll pray for the rest of you. I'm stunned right now. Stunned, okay. Uh, pray for me. I just lost where I was going. Um, but in, in the world of sports, and you've heard me talk about this before, um, there's this strange relationship that people have with their favorite teams. Like, I don't know what it is with the Dallas Cowboys. I just can't break this connectedness to the Cowboys. So, what, when the Dallas Cowboys win a game, it's weird. That week, I feel like I'm a winner. Right? You know this. I feel like I can preach better. I feel like I can pray better. I feel like I can, I just... What is true of the Cowboys is somehow true of me. It's funny how people think that way, right? If it's the same is true with the Raiders, same is true with the Redskins, same is true with the New Orleans Saints, the same is true with not the Seahawks. Come on. What is true of your team? It's weird. When you win, what do you do? You celebrate. You're like, oh, man, we lost the Super Bowl, right? No. When you win, you celebrate. You celebrate, you party, you throw a party, you take Diet Pepsi and Maple Bars, and you just have a good time, right? See, this, is, this gives us a picture of how Paul's entire theology works. If you don't get this, you're not going to understand the New Testament. Paul uses in Christ or in him or um, a derivative of that 150 times. In baptism... You are united or baptized into King Jesus. I've been a pastor a long time. Uh, I've pastored for a little over 20 years, and I've been in a lot of different counseling situations, and I've had people come up to me and say, hey, Chris, um, I just, I'm in it. And what they're saying is that they're struggling with a circumstance or a problem and a difficulty, and I understand that. But I have to correct their phraseology. I'm like, no, 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 you're not in it. You're going through it. 
You're going through it. You're going through some circumstances. You're going through some stuff. You're going through, man, a hard time. The Cowboys, yes, are losing, but you're going to make it, right? But you're not in it. Why, Chris? Because you're in Christ. In Christ is your reality. Now, I'm not suggesting that you deny what you're going through. That's fake faith. We don't believe that. Can I get an amen? Come on. Uh, We believe that we're going through stuff, but we're also in Christ no matter what. And this is what baptism does. An actual change takes place in you. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, for in him, everyone say in him. Talking about Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Revelation chapter 1, just again to illustrate this relationship, bound up relationship that we have with Jesus. Uh, Revelation 1 verse 12, St. Paul on the Lord's day sees a vision and is Jesus. Verse 12, he writes, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe. This is not a a man romper, right? And with a golden sash around his chest. If you're a 20-something living in the North End, you totally love this text. Let's move on. Verse 14, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. This is like purity. This is absolute perfection. This is absolute beauty. His eyes were like a flame of fire. I love this. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, I love this, fear not, for I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, and I'm the living one. I died, what'd you do today? And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Okay. You're baptized into King Jesus, whose eyes are on fire, whose face is shining like the sun, whose voice is like a cataract, who's ruling space and time and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, come on, and everything that's going on in this world. He's in charge. So when you're baptized, you don't have to be afraid. Don't have to be afraid, which leads us to number two. You're baptized into the love of the Father. I love this text. It's one of my favorite texts in, in the New Testament. It's found in Mark chapter one, beginning in verse, uh, we'll go nine. Those days, Mark writes, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. This is an apocalyptic text. I love it, torn open, kind of standard feature of apocalyptic writing. And the spirit, everyone say the spirit, descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. At the baptism of Jesus, the father announces that he's well pleased in the son. Before Jesus heals one sick person, 
before Jesus does one thing in his ministry, before he encounters the Satan in the wilderness, before he does anything, the Father announces his love over the Son. See, I think this is the secret to Jesus' success. How was Jesus unstoppable? I mean, I, I, I spoke this at a chapel up in uh, San Francisco. I was talking to some football players. I'm like, how is Jesus so invincible? How does he overcome the things that he had to overcome, the trials and the temptations and the Satan and the religious aristocracy at that time? How did he complete his mission? How many of you want to complete your mission? I believe the secret is found in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus the Son heard his father say over him, I'm well pleased with you. You don't got to do anything. I love you. You are my son. And I think in the most difficult times in the life of Jesus, Jesus knew in his bones that he was loved. In baptism, you are baptized into the love of the Father. Because what is true of Jesus is also true of you. The Father in baptism, just like when he announced over the Son that he loved him and said he was well pleased, says the same thing over you. John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus is talking to Miriam, and he says, Jesus said to her, do not cling on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, I love this, and to now to your Father, to my God and to your God. I love this. There's a change of status. There's, there's a fresh act of creation that's going on. Miriam, her name is changed. Jesus changes her name. And then he announces, hey, don't cling on to me. If you're a Star Trek nerd, you love that, right? No cling-ons, right? Do not cling on to me. And then he says, hey, everything is changing. My God is now your God. My Father this unique relationship that I have with the Father is now your dad. And if you heard this in the, I don't know why I was pointing like this, I was posing. Anyways, if you heard this in, in the ancient Near East, you would have been, you just would have been shocked. It implies radical welcome that we come to, which leads me to number three. When you're baptized, you're baptized into a new identity. I love this. See, it's funny. Identity, identity talk, though, is associated today. Uh, how many of you think that our world is a, is a tad bit crazy? Okay. Just, just, just a smidgen, right? Um, but it's funny. Identity talk in our world, and this is very secular, uh, is associated with, like, self-help, self-esteem, self-love, self-actualization, right? Uh, you got to be true to yourself. you got to love yourself if you want to find life. Um, many people think that when you're baptized... Uh, what happens, the change that happens is that God, like, creates a better version of you, right? And we're kind of playing off this whole idea of if, if you're just true to yourself, like, if you can find yourself, uh, which is a very pagan idea. It's a second century Gnostic idea. It's a, mixed with a little bit 19th century romantic thoughts. Uh, then you can find life and fulfillment. And that's not how new identity works in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. You got to kill yourself, dude. You got to crucify yourself. You got to pick up your cross and follow me. 
See, really the heart of baptism, the heart of the Christian story, you know what it's all about? It's learning how not to be authentic to your true self. It's funny, the closer I get to Jesus, the uglier or the more I realize how ugly inside I am. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 7, hey, man, the heart is the source of all evil. And if you try to get if you try to get true to yourself, if you try to be true to yourself, uh, you won't find life. But when, when we come to baptism, what we find is a new status that's given to us. We find that Jesus transforms us. We find that we now enter into uh, family membership. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I love this. Born again. Not Jesus through his mercy gives you like a better version of yourself. No, he, he, this is a brand new, fresh act of creation. You're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, which I wish I could spend five hours just talking about this. But to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I love this. It's in baptism that we're transformed. It's in baptism our status is changed. In baptism, we learn not to be true to our old self. We, we learn to be true to the self that God has made. I love Martin Luther. Uh, 500 years ago, he, uh, when he was going through a difficulty, he was actually known to uh, go through droughts, or not droughts, but um, bouts, that's what I was looking at for, bouts of melancholy and despair and depression and fear. And uh, he would remind himself, he would actually declare, he would confess this Latin phrase, baptiza tus sum. Every time, every day he would do it. When he was depressed or when he didn't feel right or when he felt limited or he felt not enough or felt restricted, he would say, baptiza tus sum. What is it translated? I am baptized. He would declare it over himself. So when he wasn't feeling right, he would declare, I am baptized. When he was sick in body, he would declare, I am am baptized. When he felt like he couldn't make it, he would declare to himself, I am baptized. What does that evoke? It evokes that, man, he is baptized into King Jesus. And what is true of Jesus is also true of him. That he's not defined or located within his circumstances or within his feelings or with what he's going through. He is defined and located in the life of Jesus. I am baptized. I, did, I, I remember I was, I was studying this a little bit yesterday, and I started declaring it over me and, and our church and our family, my family. I declared it over me this morning. I wasn't feeling well. Some of you know I'm a type 1 diabetic, and every now and then if I don't get sleep, it's all because of my kids, but if I don't get sleep, I love them. Uh, My sugars can spike a little bit, so I woke up this morning not feeling well at all, and I declared this over my body. I am baptized. 
And in 10 minutes, I started feeling better. I started feeling the grace of Jesus. There are days when I don't feel like you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you just feel funky and you don't know what's going on and you're tired and you can't diagnose what, why you feel the way you feel. I want to recommend this week that you declare over yourself, you are baptized. You have a new identity. Your identity is not defined by your past. It's not defined by who your family was. It's not defined by your genetic proclivities. It's not defined by your moral background in the past. Come on. It's not defined by social status or things that you have done or not done in your past. Come on. When you declare you are baptized, you are saying, I am a new creation. All things have been made new. And I refuse, I refuse to give in to my old identity. I refuse to give in to the lies of the Satan. I refuse to give in to how I feel. Come on. I'm making a decision and I want you to make a decision today to give yourself to the new identity, the renewed identity that Jesus has for you. You're baptized into King Jesus who has fire in his eyes. Take that circumstance, take that feelings, take that person who's saying that about me and trying to besmirch my reputation. Come on. Jesus is my king, and he works out everything for my good, and I am a new creation. You're baptized into Jesus. You're baptized into the Father's love and you're baptized into a new status. You are a family member. Can we turn down the glory lights right here? It's like it's shining in my face, just, just a little bit so I can actually see people. I want, I want to pray for two people, but before I do this, this is an exciting, this is Baptism Sunday. And I'm going to do something that might scare some of you. I don't, have we... Pastor Ken, Connie, have we ever done something like this? We probably did a long time ago. But we're going we're gonna to open up baptism for those who are committed followers of Jesus who, one, have never been baptized, or two, maybe you were baptized when you were younger, but you just, it, it didn't mean maybe something. You're kind of unsure. You're uncertain about your standing with baptism. But today you're a committed follower of Jesus. And you just feel like the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. And you want to make a decision to, uh, you didn't plan on it. You weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to come and get wet this morning at church, right? I was going to come and get dunked in, in, the, in the waters of baptism. But if you, this is a spontaneous decision, I know. But we got towels and we got shirts. But if you're like, your heart's stirred. You just know the Holy Spirit is challenging you to baptize or to go into the waters of baptism. You're not being baptized into magic waters. This is not just a symbolic act. I promise you, a miracle will take place in your life. Let me just qualify by saying, baptism is not necessary for salvation. It is necessary for obedience. If you want to build your life upon the rock of Jesus, baptism is not an option. You're saying, Chris, today, I want to make a spontaneous decision right stinking now to be baptized. On the count of three, 
This is crazy. But I, can we have a little bit of crazy in church? On the count of three, I want you to stand and I want you to go to either, uh, either side, middle doors, and there will be an usher that will give you quick instructions. I promise it's gonna be painless. We're not gonna take you to a back room. We're gonna dunk you up here. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a great experience. But on the count of three, if you're like, Chris, I wanna make a decision. I wanna enter the waters of baptism. I want you to stand and I want you to go to the side doors. One, two, three, if that's you, go ahead and stand. All over the place. Come on. Yes. Wow. still more. God bless you guys. We're going to sing one song, but I want to pray for a group of people. If you could bow your heads, close your eyes. This is all about grace. Can I get an amen, church? Entering into the baptism of the, the waters of baptism predicated on grace. It's predicated on the love of Jesus. And maybe today you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you don't know what new creation is about. Maybe, I mean, it's not maybe, but you know deep down in your bones this morning your life's been defined by heartache and brokenness, lust, greed, sin, addictions. And you want Jesus to give you a fresh start this morning. Maybe you made a decision a long time ago to follow Jesus, but, but now you're like, you're not living for him and you want to make a decision. You want to make a decision to follow Jesus. You want Jesus to take over your life. You want, to, you want Jesus to make every wrong thing in you right. I would like to pray with you this morning. With every eye closed, every head bowed, on the count of three, you would say, Chris, I just want to raise my hand. I want you to pray for me, and I want to commit my life to this King Jesus. I want him to take over my life. I want him to make me new, and I want him to make a difference through me in this world. On the count of three, raise your hand if you want me to pray for you. One, two, three. Thank you all over the place. Keep your hands raised. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. I think that's 29. I don't want to double count, but I think that's 30 right there. I see that hand. 30 people making a decision to follow Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. If you raised your hand, could you just put your hand on your heart? Church, could you also put your hand in your heart? And I would like everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. Take over. Do a brand new work in me. I put my trust in you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for coming back from the dead. I love you. Make me new. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.